Welcome to the Midland Seventh-day Adventist Church. We hope our broadcast will bless you. Good morning and happy Sabbath. That sounded good, didn't it? <laughs> I got the scripture this morning, and uh, it's Galatians 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Blessed are these words. Well, happy Sabbath. I already did happy Sabbath for the boys and girls. Now, to the older boys and girls. And also to the people that are watching us through the internet. Uh, we love you. We want you here. But if you do not come because you're sick or something, we are praying for you. Uh, before I start, I have two quick announcements to do. One is like yesterday I was contacted by the Adventist uh, Community Services person of the conference. They were in a call with uh, the ACS slash other people throughout North America because of the crisis uh, that uh, the southern states had because of the hurricane. Like in certain parts of the state, especially Florida, they said that was the worst thing ever since uh, Andrew, like almost 30 years ago. So it was a big, big deal. And they count on us to help them. And like starting Monday, if you go to the site of the Florida Conference of the Seventh-day Adventists, you have a place there that you can donate. And anything counts, like 50 cents, $1, whatever counts. Because if everybody teams up and donate even a tiny bit, we can help our brothers and sisters there to help others that are need to recover from that crisis. And uh, the other announcement that I want to make is like just reinforcing what Stace said about the Grounded series. We're going to start on the 19th, 7 o'clock. Uh, will be a very nice series and uh, it's both an in-reach and an outreach. So you can invite your friends if you want to or someone that you want to be more familiar with the Adventist message in a non-threading way. Uh, and uh, after a short uh, live broadcast, then we have a session of uh, questions and answers, like a little little Bible study. First one will be conducted by me. And uh, so plan to be here. We'll be... Uh, a nice thing for all of us to be participating together and growing together. A third announcement that just came to mind. Next week, I mean not next week, two weeks from now, next time I come preaching, I will be continuing the series that uh, we interrupted before the vacation, summer, because since everybody travels. So uh, be ready to uh, embark to that new season. Now we're going to be looking uh, to the plan of, of salvation through the perspective of the, of the great controversy. We looked first to the perspective of the love of God, and now we're going to look for a different angle. And uh, in that, uh, we also will be a little bit more aware of what we need to live on those last days of the Earth's history. So I hope and pray that all of you are here 
or if you absolutely cannot come, at least you watch through the internet. So, uh, the sermon this week, it's called Dying to Self. Like, uh, I meant to call Daniel this week because I liked so much his sermon. I really love it. It was a very appropriate and like kind of was a nice tie end with the series of sermons I've been preaching and with this sermon that I want to preach today. Like, so I praise God to plant that uh, sermon in Daniel's heart. And uh, today, I like the whole idea of that sermon came as I was uh, observing how Jesus dealt with his people. Like he had his disciples. Those guys, like, after three and a half years with Jesus, they should know better. Like, but they missed the point so much that, like, they were arguing about futilities. They missed the point that Jesus said, like, many, many, many times. And I'm going to read here from John 12, 24. One of the many times that Jesus emphasized the same point. Uh, he said, Master, surely I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls onto the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if dies, it produces much grain. So they failed to recognize that they needed to die for self in order to be something for the kingdom, in order to like make the kingdom grow. And... Uh, Jesus spoke this to them like ad nauseum and uh, that they could never bring anybody else to life if they don't die to self first. And uh, out of his love for them and out of actually disappointment, like before they started that journey, uh, his last journey to Jerusalem, he spoke with them, guys, like... In my kingdom, there's no hierarchy. There's no, like, nobody's bigger. And, like, if, if somebody's bigger, he's the one that serves. And they said, oh, yeah, we are with you, master. And then they went. And if you keep reading the story, and that story is uh, it's, uh, both in Luke and John. Like, on the very next chapter, as they are arriving on Jerusalem, Jesus asked, what you guys were talking back there? And uh, like Luke 22 verse 24 says like, Now there was also a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. So they missed the point completely. They were still like on that mode like, Oh, I want to sit on the left side, on the right side. I want to be the, your right hand man. I want to be the greatest. And uh where did they get this? I don't know because it was not from Jesus. Uh, and that discussion was just like uh, throughout the last night together. He had, the, he had that discussion once more on the foot washing when everybody was looking. Not me. I won't, I won't do that. Then he does like everybody was silent because he get off his... Uh, his suit puts up over here and start to wash everybody's feet. 
Uh, and uh, then he says, like, if you want to be the greatest, you need to serve. Like he he put the, he was trying to put their word upside down. And uh, that was the same conversation that afterwards he said to Peter, Peter, I'm praying for you because Satan asked for permission to shake you. And I'm praying that when you come back, you would uh, uh, be a blessing to your brothers. And then Peter, ah, oh, no, no, I'm ready. I, can, I will die for you. I will go to the end. But he was not alone. All the other disciples said, no, we can take it. We will go with you to the end. But uh, give them 24 hours. Like, uh, not even 24 hours, like just a few hours later. When they, they saw the, the crowd coming to take Jesus captive, what did happen? They all vanished left and right. Their courage was transformed to fear. Their self-sacrifice, they said, are we going to lay our lives for you? Uh, disappear. It became self-preservation. So, how that happened? Because they forgot to die for self first. And that's what we're going to be studying today, of how to die to self, what that means, what... Uh, what that unlocks on us. But before we go any further, let's pray again. Let's bow our heads and ask the Holy Spirit to be our guide on that process. Dear Father in heaven, thank you so much for your love for each one of us. Thank you so much for uh, another day of our life that you gave us so we can live for you, so we can reconcile with you, so we can get closer to you. Help us today to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. As we read different Bible passages, may we uh, understand uh, what we want us to live, how we want us to live, and how uh, we cannot live by this way by ourselves, how we need you. So give us your Holy Spirit and uh, be our teacher today. That's what we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to start again with uh, the verse we read at the beginning. Because that is the goal. I, like, uh, I can't imagine being Paul and saying these words. Because for me, they are hard. He said, like, I have been crucified. And that's Galatians 3.20 again. I have been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. What that means? What means for me not to be living and for Christ to be living on me? Like, I have to kill the self. And I have to leave God, I have to leave Christ to do to have first dabs on my life, like to make the first the decisions to steer me. Uh, so, and I'm not talking about the big decisions of life because those, I, I guess for most people at least, uh, we should ask God for direction, but I'm not even talking for the little things. If we really die for self, 
That means, what I gonna say next? What I gonna dress? How? What I gonna speak today? And uh, that should be our quest. Like to know ahead of time what God expects from us today and at every minute. And then he continues. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith on the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Here is his confidence. Like he knows that that's an impossible task. He knows that he cannot like really uh, live a godly life or take righteous decisions by himself. He has to trust in something or somebody that's outside of him. And he, put, he puts his trust in God because Jesus died for him. So that means that he is the responsible for our success. We fail or we succeed on our Christian life to the degree we surrender ourselves to him. To the degree we allow him to take uh, our life and uh, guide us. And uh, we have to get close and personal to Jesus. Like, it's the only way for us to live as Christians and really live up to that name is to be entirely committed to live a life like Christ. Do you guys know what means uh, the word Christian? How it was first used? Where? Was it used as a slander? Was it used in Antioch to, to uh, kind of uh, talk down about the followers of Jesus? Was a pejorative term, like that meant like literally like somebody that's a, a small Christ, like a, but they said on the sense that like you are trying to follow something, but you're falling so short. You're like, you're fakes. But the Christians like it. Why? Because they understood that in reality, they were little Christ. They were like a little imitation of Christ. Their life was only worth it if they were doing what Jesus was doing. And uh, that's why we have to pray to be like Christ. Like our prayer should be something like, uh, our prayer should be something like, God, open my eyes so I can see people around me. And uh, open my ears so I can hear your voice and give me discernment so I know how to best represent you by serving those around me. Show me your plans for me today. And uh, help me to be a blessing. Help me to be like Jesus. That should be our daily prayer. And if we keep doing that prayer, he will show us how to do it. Let me tell you a little story. I have a friend of mine. I hope uh, I can bring him in here somewhere next year. I invited him. I, he didn't reply yet uh, to be uh, here next year. I hope he can squeeze on his busy calendar uh he we used to work together on the gc he works in a different department but we we got uh to know each other and i heard his stories many times sometimes traveling or sometimes like on uh warships there and uh there's one story that i heard at least two or 
three times that stuck with me because talks about exactly this, like dying to self and putting Jesus as a priority on our life. And uh, he grew up in communist, uh, in a communist country. I can't remember the country, uh, but was one of those uh, Eastern European countries. And that story was on his on the, on the uh, early 80s. He was a teenager back then. And his dad was like uh, on his 50s or close to 60s. And uh, he was the first elder of a church. Again, uh, that, those are like the last days of communism. The people that came before them, they were persecuted, like put in jail. Now, they were kind of like, okay, if you're a Christian, you can be a Christian, just don't tell anybody. You cannot proselytize, you cannot build churches, you cannot bring Bibles to the country. Like, I don't care if you are a closet Christian, but don't, just don't preach. And that was the order of the day. That was the law. And uh, they had a, a new pastor that was young and dedicated. He was like a, described like a very nice person. And uh, they, the church was getting old. That church was like a re- relic of almost like the pre-communist era. And was small for the amount of people they had. So they had that brilliant idea. Let's take it down and build another one. But that was illegal. They could not do it. So they prayed. The church board met and they decided, let's do it. But that could be, could be in jail for the guy that was leading that project. And uh, they had a big wall. So the wall would uh, cover from the streets the view of the old church. And they decided to start the project, but they started to do like at the deep of the night, like uh, with no lights, no power tools, trying to make the least amount of noise possible so they could keep going. And the whole church got involved, like from young to old. Everybody that could uh, hold a hammer or bring some was there helping. And uh, that was the thing for like many weeks. Then one day, Police, open up. Uh, and then like uh, the pastor and the dad of this friend of mine had a little discussion who would go to the door because the pastor wanted to go. And uh, this guy said, no, no, you can't like because you are still needed here. Let me go. And after a little bit of like the 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 father of my friend went. And uh, he went to the door, like, and he asked, who is there? It's the police, open up. Do you have a warrant? No. So come back when you have a warrant. And the police went, went away, and, but they were, uh, like, in flames, like they said, you're going to pay for this. They went back, Took about three months for them to come back. At the point they come back, the church was already almost closed, but the church became so big that was visible from the streets. So then they really came, like a lot of people. They almost, like few cars, and like they knocked again. And they knew that now would be for real. 
So the uh, the elder said, "Like, pastor, you go with your wife. Go to the back. You go to a di- go to a different town. Spend spend a few days there till things cool down. Then you come back, because I'm old. I my life, my my sons, my youngest son is already on like fifteen or something. So like they." My, I'm spendable. Go, 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 go. And they struggle like he, the pastor wanted to stay. Uh, was his duty, and but uh, he went. People hid where they could, like bathrooms, like under the floor, like they. And then this guy went and opened the door because they did have a warrant this time. And uh, to cut a long story short, he was thrown to jail. When he was in jail, uh, one of the policemen uh, said, "Like we warn you, not to bring Bibles in town. We warn you to stop building. You, we said we, you won't pay. Now you're gonna pay. Like unless you stop this foolishness, recant your faith. Uh, you, we're gonna confiscate everything you have." And he said, I don't have anything. Like, uh, most of what I make, I keep the minimum so I can live, and all the rest I give to the church. So, there's nothing to take. And uh, oh, then he, he said, okay, we're going to make you lose your job, and you're going to be unemployable. Nobody in this country is going to employ you again. And then he said, well, that's great news, because now I can work full time for the kingdom. Then the guy was like, this guy's crazy. He got his pistol, put in, I, I don't know if it was in his head or in his neck, put on him, oh, was in his, uh, in his chest over his heart and said, okay, I'm going to kill you then. And uh, I'm going to kill you. And then he said like, uh, okay, but let me... Uh, unbottle my shirt first and let's me, me get it off and then the, the, the police said like don't you know that bullets can go through shirts and he said I know but like there's so many poor people over there around it that uh, that's a nice shirt I want you to after you kill me to give you to somebody to give it to somebody and then the guy like frustrated he went back and talked with his superior like what I do with this guy the guy, and then his superior, the police chief, called the mayor. The mayor said, kill him. Now they have their orders. The guy had to die. So the police chief told the, the, the guard. The guard went there like, now I have my orders. At this point, he was almost apologizing for having to kill the guy because the guy was something else. And like... Uh, he said, okay, can I pray for you before you shoot me? Now, can I pray before you shoot me? And he said, yeah, you can pray, but there's nothing that can save you from that because I have to kill you now. I have my orders. If I don't kill you, I'm killed. That's the, the way stuff goes here. And, I don't, and he said, I don't want to pray about me. I want to pray about you. 
I want to intercede for you. And then he prayed. He surrendered the guy's life. He asked God to be a uh, to bless him, to help him to understand things better. Like an, uh, he made a beautiful pray by the prayer. By the time he finished his prayer, the police chef came to the room like blank as a piece of paper. Don't kill this guy. Don't don't shoot. And then everybody that was around asked what happened. And he said like. The mayor, just a few minutes ago, gave the order to kill him. But as soon as he gave the order, he went to his car and uh, he was driving home. And he was killed in an accident by a drunk truck driver. That like, so, I'm the de- uh, so I received a call from the deputy mayor. And the deputy mayor said, don't kill this guy. And, and uh, he was sent back home. And uh, his life was spared. But the part that's really interesting coming later. A couple of days later. uh, His son. Pavel. The the one that uh, worked with me. Asked him. Dad. Did you know. That God would save your life. That's why you did. Things in the way you did. And. uh, Then that was his. Answer, son, I had no idea. But that's not important. That's not important that he answered. I'm not focused in my life, but in God's will and in his service. That's my first priority. I don't care if I live, if I, if I live or if I die. Uh, it's more important that he increases and that I decrease. Then he repeated the words of Jesus saying, Whoever tries to save their own life will lose it. And uh, the one that's willing to lose his life for Christ will save it. And then he finished with something that for me was a punchline when the first time I, I heard it. You cannot and you will not be a Christian. And you will never experience God's power in your life unless your love for him uh, is too, so big unless you love him to a degree that you are willing to sacrifice everything including self and uh, that's an absolute requirement for us to live that for us to be able to say as Paul I don't live any longer but Christ li- lives in me uh, Paul at this point of his life uh, he said that he considered all things lost uh, for the price of knowing Jesus. 29 years after his conversion, Paul was still looking to know Jesus better. He was still in a search, in a quest that was marked by uh, surrender and daily self-sacrifice. He affirmed, in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 31, I die daily. And that's what we need to do. Die daily. Dying to self. Put, and dying to self means putting Jesus as the priority of our life. It's an absolute requirement if you want to be a disciple of Jesus. Like uh, nothing 
is a substitute for that. It's our commitment, our conversion. It's not a one-time event like baptism. It's a daily matter. If we don't uh, are willing to give ourselves to God and allow the Holy Spirit to uh, use us every day, we lose it. Like going back to last week's sermon, like we saw in the life of uh, Saul, like on this, his first few days or years, he was a different person. He was willing to give his life to God. He was willing to open up for the Holy Spirit. And he did amazing things. But then self slowly started to creep in. And sometimes self started to creep in for good reasons. Like we want to preserve or something. It's something that we like some good excuse for us to, have, to be like self-sufficient or self-righteous or self-something. And then little by little, we lose your way and we don't allow God to be God in our life again. Conversely, what allowed uh, Jonathan to have the courage to go and those things? Because he did it to face that uh, big army by himself and his uh, arm bearer. Because he didn't value his own life. Uh, for him was most important to do God's will at the moment. And that's the call that we have today. That's how the sermon ended last week. So, and that self, that dying to self is so important, even for pastors. Even if you get the best pastor you know. Even if you get somebody that's totally committed to ministry. Somebody that has all the degrees that are necessary, that has, that check out the marks, that ha it has this passion for the people that are outside and also the passion for the people that are here to uh, bring them to salvation. Even somebody like that cannot live with Jesus eternally if he doesn't die daily, if he doesn't die with Christ daily. The reason why we have so little power, so little influence, and uh, we have such a minimum success in our personal life, in our personal victories, and in making the church grow, is because we don't sacrifice the self. And while we are full of ourselves, the Holy Spirit cannot abide in us. Jesus said, as I mentioned in the beginning, in uh, John 12, 24, that unless the grain dies, it cannot bear fruit. And that was an object lesson for us. Because unless we die first, we also cannot bear fruit. We can also cannot be somebody that can bring uh, any new life around us. Uh, I guess a way to illustrate that it's like uh, something that happened with me when I was going to drive or school. Back on the day where uh, the cars, like, they had two sets of wheels and, uh, and uh, pedals and everything. Because they, at any moment, the instructor had full control and could take the wheel from you. I got very frustrated because I was trying to do something 
and the guy didn't fail. So he knew better, but okay, but that made it for Mick frustrated nonetheless. Like at one point, like I was on an intersection, I was trying to see uh, if there are cars coming, but there was a truck stopped here. So I just pressed on the gas just a tiny bit so I could get just a little edge to, to look. And the guy immediately like pressed on the brakes and then he started like to, to drive the car. I got very frustrated. And that's how Jesus feels when we say, God take our life, but we try to take the, the other wheel. A, dry, a car cannot be dry, driven safely if two persons are trying to drive. We either drive or we allow Jesus to drive. Both cannot drive at the same time. Either you are in control or Jesus is. So the real hard question today is, can we brothers and sisters let go of the steering wheel of our life? Can we allow God to drive us to do what he knows is best for us? We may say yes. We may say we may feel tempted to say yes. But there's a lot of things that we uh, value more, that we love so much more, that sometimes they are impediments for us to give the will to Jesus. Jesus, when he was uh, about to go to heaven, he met with his followers in a, in a mountainside and uh his last words was uh, in Acts 1.8 was like that. Uh, you're going to be my witnesses. First in Jerusalem, Samaria, and to the ends of the world. Or to, or to the ends of earth. And uh, he wanted us to be witnesses for him. He himself is a witness. In Revelation uh, 1 verse 5 or 6 says that he is the faithful witness. So he is a witness himself. But let me ask you here, your native English speaking folk, uh, what means a witness, to be a witness? What is a witness? What's a witness? To observe, you said. Okay, what else? Okay, let, let me go to the Greek word then. Perhaps that can shed some light. The word that was translated as witness is martyrs. That is from where the word in English martyr came from. So he was saying, you are my martyrs. What is to be a martyr? To die? To die for a cause. That's, that's how we understand martyr today, right? To die for a cause. But in Jesus' day, the word had a different connotation. The word martyr meant to live for a cause so passionately that you give your all. The problem is that the Christians lived, they got the message and they surrendered all to Jesus and they lived for the cause to the point that they died for him. And so many Christians died that the word ended up changing the meaning for instead of living for a cause, dying for a cause. But Jesus calls us to be his witness. To live for his cause. And uh, 
as the early Christians, they knew that live entirely for Jesus could be problematic. When you decided to follow Jesus, problems arise. But they didn't bother because for them, their life was less important. They wanted to follow Jesus till the end. And they were glad about it. And uh, they discovered very early that wherever you don't sacrifice, it becomes your God. Let me say again so it sinks better. Wherever you don't sacrifice, you love more than God and it becomes your God. It becomes an idol. Wherever you treasure more is where your heart is. Did you stop to think about it? We see a lot about idolatry in the Bible, but we don't think that like uh, we, are, we are also idolaters because there's a lot of stuff that fights for our attention that sometimes we give primacy and sometimes even good stuff. Daniel and Esther, they left their people. They left everything behind. Joseph and Ruth, they even leave family behind. They forsake their families for serving God better. Through the Bible, we see how the people of faith, they get to a point in their lives where they have to choose between what I want and what God wants. Should I tear down my uh, idols, the idol of the self, eh, or sh- should I keep worshiping it and like on that self uh, amusement or self uh, serving life? They all had that uh, choice, and uh, and they choose to sacrifice everything, including the self. And they did it without expecting blessings because they decided to become a blessing. In Matthew uh, 10, 37, there is something that's hard. And I want you to open the Bible and read it because it's, it's hard. It's a hard ask. But Jesus asked in Matthew 10, 37 to 39, He who loves father, mother, or mother more than me, is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me, is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me, is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Did you see the seriousness of the invitation? Uh, God asks us. He promises to us to be with us to the end. But he wants us to surrender everything to him. Nothing should be more important than him. Is family important? Is. And if you guys know me any bit, you know that I love my family. 
But if any day my family comes in between me and my God, God has to have the primacy. I hope I had uh, uh, being a good father and raise my kids in such a way that that would never happen. But like we have to be prepared to everything that that is nothing should be more sacred than God and than our relationship with Him. And uh, the Bible says, Jesus said actually, that real religion uh, is to love God above all things and love your neighbor as yourself. And uh, that's the absolute test of Christianity. Jesus said this multiple times and uh, in different ways. But uh, the absolute test for Christianity, you, and you can double check in reading at home John 17 especially starting on verse 20 uh, that the absolute test for Christianity is like how you love others you want to know how much you love God just look how you treat other people especially those that are your enemies that you see as a threat those that you don't like it uh, you're gonna the degree that you love God is the degree that you treat them in the way you should treat yourself. That's how Jesus laid out. And but that's something hard. It's it's very hard. I cannot do it at times. I have to get real. If I don't if I'm not on my knees, like the first like a, a while ago. In a church far, far away. My kids don't even know that. But like somebody didn't like one of my kids. And was like trashing my kid. Like my first impression. Like my first urge was like. A, thankfully we didn't have one of this. On my church. Because my first thing, tendency would be like to. Get it and smack it. But I had to. Pray and pray and pray like. Took me a week to approach that person. Because if I let my first reaction go, I would not be doing what God asked me to do. And I spoke with the person like, like listen, my kids are no different than yours. Like, uh, it's not because they are the pastor kid that they are immediately bring to uh, sainthood. And like, he has its struggles, we have to give him Time, uh, I'm saying on the pronoun, uh, him, but it's not him, it's like any kid, like I uh, don't want to spill the beans here. Uh, but like, you have to leave, grow to the, leave room to, for the kid to grow. And we had a nice conversation, we prayed together, and like the problem after a few months got solved, like uh, the kid got back straight, but uh, like, I had to pray. But that was not my first reaction. And that's what Paul is talking about. We have to surrender. When you, when you love God, you forget self. Self is not important. God has to come first. Your representation of God, what you pass by the way you act, has to come first because you have to care more for others than you care for yourself. 
there is a very hard uh, spirit of prophecy quote that I want to share with you. It's um, Testimonies for the Church, Volume 7, page 10. And since Ellen G. White, uh, English is kind of King james old, I'm going to ask Stace to read for me so I don't butcher it. Stacy, come again. It was, the mic was not on. And it's on now, but... Okay. Was. Have you so deep an appreciation of the sacrifice made on Calvary that you are willing to make every other interest subordinate to the work of saving souls? The same intensity of desire to save sinners that marked the life of the Savior marks the life of his true follower. The Christian has no desire to live for self. He delights to concentrate all that he has is to the master service. He is moved by an inexpressible desire to win souls to Christ. Those who have nothing of this desire might be concerned for their own salvation. Let them pray for the spirit of service. I sank with this text for a while because it's hard. Like She starts with a hard punch. She sounds like that we have to have such a deep appreciation of the sacrifice of, of, of the Calvary, of, of what Jesus did for us, that we are willing to make everything else of less important and put our interests to subordinate to the work of saving souls because that's why Jesus died. And... Uh, She's, she says that our life should be marked with the same intensity that Jesus' life was marked. And when I look to me, when I look to the mirror, I fall so far from this. And I can't help to pray every day, God, help me to be somebody that I'm not. Help me to be somebody that uh, can be a blessing for those around us. Like, we have to understand the preciousness of the Calvary. Otherwise, we miss the point. The, one of the reasons why we don't surrender is because uh, we don't really see what happened there 2,000 years ago. We don't really have an image of uh, how awesome that sacrifice was. And that's why Jesus gave multiple, uh, especially in Matthew 13, you have like multiple parables of what the kingdom of God is. How awesome the salvation is. Because he wanted us to really understand that once we find salvation, nothing else should be of importance. Like that guy that found the treasure. Remember kids from the story? The guys that found the treasure. And the treasure was more the most important for, he, for his life. He sold everything. He got money until he could get his treasure for himself. He was not in peace. And that should be our attitude. We have to keep coming to God and help and asking God to help us to get that treasure, to seize that treasure for ourselves. Uh, we all like to sing that song, I Surrender All. I at least like it. But it's a lot easier to sing it than actually do it. Like... Uh, how to make Christ and his service the top priority of our lives? How can we make this possible? 
If you remember the scared disciples from the beginning of the story. Uh, they were afraid. They were like hidden in, a, in somebody's house. Not going anywhere. Or those that were going, they were skipping town. And uh, they had, uh, they were feeling so powerless. Because now they didn't have Jesus. They did have that big commission that was already given to them in Matthew 28 to go and preach and to bring the gospel to everybody. And uh, Jesus had that command to preach to the entire earth. But they felt so powerless that they felt they could not preach even to their own neighborhoods, even to their own homes. And uh, what did they do? What did they do, guys? They prayed. They prayed for the Holy Spirit to enable them for their mission. They didn't only pray. They started, they went to the Bible. They started to go to the biblical promises of like what God had promised to do through Jesus. What uh, uh, the promise of His Holy Spirit. The promise of power coming from above. Like that when people were confronted, then they would receive the Holy Spirit. They went to Joel uh, uh, chapter 2. They went to different texts of the Bible and started to share those promises and pray for each other and pray with one another. And uh, as they focused more on the, in praying for one another and focused more on those b- biblical promises, they started to understand what the cross was all about, what the plan of salvation was all about. They understood that God himself came in a, as a person and died for their sins, became sin for them. And uh, that realization brought them to a new journey on their life. They started to see that whatever problems they had in life was such a small thing for the big gift of salvation that God brought to them. And they realized how great was the work before them. They started to feel responsible for those around them to reach to those people. And strengthened by the Holy Spirit, they went forth uh, filled with zeal and uh, with joy because they knew their victory was assured. They consecrated their lives. And uh, that consecration was very evident, even on their likeness, on their people looking to their faces. They could see that those were not the same men they knew before. And uh, that realization was overwhelming. And, uh, but they realized that they had to surrender every day. They could not keep doing this thing on their own power. If they don't allow God to drive them, to be their guide, if they don't empty themselves of the, their own selfishness and allow God to be God on their lives, they could not do it. Jesus wanted to do something on them that he wants to do on the life of each one of us today. He wants us as we surrender. And that's a daily process. You, don't, you, you won't be able to ask today, God, please transform me, and then, boom, you are a new person. That's a continuous process. We 
surrender today, we fall tomorrow, we surrender again, and we surrender again and again. Every day, he transforms us little by little. But he will do it something so subtle that you won't even know that you're there. It will become your second nature. And do you know why I say that? Open the Bibles with me in Matthew 25. Uh, we're going to start to read from verse 31. But I'm going to give you the little uh, context. Like uh, Jesus was, being, was trying to teach his disciples of how they wanted, he wanted them to be. And then he taught about their death. He, I'm going to die. And uh, then, like, uh, he that had that big sermon about his second coming and about what's going to happen. And then he uh, stops before he goes because that, at that point he was in his way to keep the Calvary. And uh, he uh, talks about uh, something that's very important. He talks about like uh, the, our surrender to God. And he wants to transform us. And then he tells that story that we're going to read now. Uh, when the Son of God of Man comes in his glory, and now the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. Our nations will be gathered before him. So he's talking about what's happened after his second coming, after the big judgment day. And he will separate then one from, the, from another. As a shepherd divides his sheep from his goat, from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, and he, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say for those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. And I was in prison where, and uh, you came to visit me. And if you keep reading, uh, the saved start to ask, but Lord, where did you, we feed you? When did you, we went to visit you in the prison? When we did this or did that? And then he started to say, like, when you visit those that could not help you, when you minister to those that were disadvantaged in relation to you, when you uh, did all those things, you were meeting me. And they were doing all those things because that was their lifestyle. That was their way of living. They didn't even notice. And that's what Jesus wants us to do. He does not want us to do things to check a list. Oh, I have to feed the poor. I have to do this. I have to take care of the orphan. I have... That's not the way he wants us to live our lives. He wants to, us to live our life so full of his love that everything we do is a ministry, is a ministry that we do to him. Even on, it's a noticeable to us, but that will be the way we do things. When you, we fully understand 
what God did for us, we will realize His love, how big it is. Then we will surrender. Once we surrender, then we will pray for opportunities. We will, and we'll be looking for opportunities to be the hands and uh, feet of Jesus on, on our community. Not only inside of the church, but outside of the church as well. We will be looking for opportunities to love, to serve, and to bless others. And to represent Christ wherever we go. And even, perhaps, to give our life to Him. And we will do this joyfully. We will consider a privilege to do that. Once we come to that point, once we decide to die daily and to allow God to lead us, and we start to invoke His presence every day in our life, and that's, again, folks, is a work of a lifetime. We have to do it every day, ten times through the day. Only there that we're going to be able to say, like Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ that lives in me. And that's what I want to be. And that's where God wants you to be. I want to close the sermon today. But I want to pray for me and for each one of you. So God can empower us to really accept his invitation to fight his battles for him. Not with our, in our own terms, but with His power, with His Spirit guiding us. And that requires us to tear down our idols. To not allow anything in our life to be more important to us. And that should steer us to seek God's guidance on our daily life. So everything we do is not for ourselves, but to give honor and glory to God through our lives. Would you bow our heads and pray with me? Dear Father in heaven, I'm baffled by the enormity, how big is your love for us. I could see somebody dying for somebody that he likes. I will die for my sons. I will die for my wife. But you died for your enemies. For those that despise you. You died for people that even uh, were your fiercest enemies. That were persecuting you and your people. That I can get it. And you became sin for us to save us out of love you could have just not created us and problem would be solved but you loved us so much that you created us nonetheless because you loved us even before we were created even before we were born so help us dear lord to understand that love and help us to understand the what means to be your witness what means to to live for you. What means to die for self every day. Help us dear Lord. To seek for you. To 
ask for forgiveness for the times we jumped the gun and did things in our own way. Help us, dear Lord, now and uh, from now on to be man and woman according to your own heart. Help us to surrender. Help us to persevere in despair of like uh, allowing ourselves to get empty of our own desires. Help us to tear down our idols, the things that are more impo most important to us. And help us to give us our lives entirely so you can fill us to the brim with your Holy Spirit. We need this, dear Lord. We need to be revitalized and we need to live and love as you did. I now pause a little bit. So I give to my brothers and sisters that are hearing me, even those through the internet, so they can uh, do their own little prayer and surrender to you if they want really to start today in a renewed life and live the life that you dream them to have. Dear Father in heaven, please hear our prayer. We are so weak so self-centered that we don't even have the strength to give ourselves to you. So take us where we are today. We don't have the strength to kill the self every day. So kill it for us every day, dear Lord. And help us to grow more and more to that second nature you want us to have. To live not for self, but to live for others and to live for you. Bless this church, dear Lord, as individuals and as a corporation. So we help us to be filled of your Holy Spirit so we can walk in boldness and uh, fight the battles you have for us to fight. Help us to seek for renewed relationship with you and help us to uh, avail our life as nothing. So we can put the highest value in you and the work that you set aside for each one of us. Bless us. Give us your Holy Spirit. Bless each family he represented. And through those that are here, may your gospel be spread to the ends of the earth. That's what we, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to the broadcast from the Midland Seventh-day Adventist Church at 2420 East Ashman in Midland, Michigan. If you are in the area, we cordially invite you to visit our church Saturday mornings. If you are a distance away, we encourage you to continue visiting our website and weekly podcast at midlandsda.org.